one of the most common things is that a, a prisoners will alter the the radios they buy in a commissary so they can listen in on broader frequencies, so they can listen in on guards' radios, for example. Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Reismandel. With me here in our Portland studio is... <laughs> Hi, it's a Portland studio now. It's Eric Klein. Thanks for having me on Radio Survivor again for another week. And joining us from San Francisco via Skype is Jennifer Waits. And I will not say this is the San Francisco studio because you would laugh if you saw it. People would laugh if they saw our studio. Although <laughs> the previous incarnation of the studio was actually photographed and showed up in Radio World. I think that your home studio, Paul, is delightful. Yeah. And it's always a pleasure to watch you uh, put it back together a again. Mess of, a mess of yeah. cables. Yes, I have. For the, this is well, We can do this. Uh, deep cut here. Yeah, you know, link for in the, the show For notes. the real nerds. Uh, yeah. So this is a pop-up studio. You don't have a permanent thing. I have a home office. Every week, I put down a folding table, mixers, microphones, computers. We put it all together. We record, and I put it all away because I don't have a lot of space. I hope I'm not speaking out of school, Paul Reisman. But I think you've been reluctant to share your home studio setup because you don't want to get into the business of giving people home studio podcasting advice because there's so many. Maybe maybe we will do that. Maybe I've maybe I've warmed <laughs> to the idea. If that's something people would like us to help them with, maybe to devote of some bag. of an episode or something. There, actually, I did a YouTube video several years ago it's on the radio survivor youtube channel we'll put that in the show notes as well where i showed off how we do this that's right so but i would we, we could help if people are interested drop us a line podcast at radiosurvivor.com or tweet us or facebook you know us. it's like a funny i think that a structure for that might be that's like i have this banana and this coconut and these three pencils how do i podcast with this yeah that's right and then we can help everyone knows that you talk into the banana yeah Right, and and you connect the banana to the coconut, and you can say maybe the one thing you should do is buy a new pencil. Yeah, because yeah. your pencil is not what it needs to you be. You need a fresh lead. Yeah, but but those that, but that banana is fine. That yeah. that twenty dollar banana is is just as good as a seven hundred dollar banana. Exactly, I think that's exactly what we'll do. So <laughs> uh, it will be the fruitiest episode of Radio Survivor yet. But we'll talk about what's coming up today on Radio Survivor, and which is a complete one eighty, I think, from fruit based podcast setup. Uh, we're going to be talking about prison radio uh in fact so we we will be speaking is with it though because this is we're talking about uh getting it done with the equipment you have at hand oh yeah there's a line through yeah there is there you're right people, there's a line people through in, who find themselves in prison using the equipment that is available to them to make and receive radio in all sorts of unique and uh, uh un unexpected ways. Yeah. I, I think you have tied that knot very cleanly. What I'm here for. And, uh, we'll be talking with folks from the artist collective provisional Island about their prison radio themed exhibit called an electric kite. And obviously that's a metaphor or actually it's prison slang, uh, that you'll learn about in this interview. Um, and that Exhibit right now is on view at the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, through at least fall 2018. And I just realized I'm going to be in Philadelphia in July for the Podcast Ooh. Movement Conference. 
Oh, lucky. Yeah. So I will definitely make sure to go because I think it's really that, close by because it's all in Center City. That is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, prisons in the United States. In the United States. And now it has been converted into a, a museum. A museum. And this exhibit that the, our guests on Radio Survivor today will be telling us about is that they, um, they've set up two rooms to, to sort of uh, replicate what a uh, what a what a prison radio setup would be to send and receive signals. Yeah, things you would never really think of if you've not, never been to prison. Um, we'll be talking with Eileen Shumate, Heidi Ratanovich, and Michael McCann. They are our guests. And Jennifer, this is an interview that you set up. Uh, this is something that you learned about. Um, why, why did you want to have uh, Provisional Island on the show to talk about their exhibit, An Electric Kite? I'm always I'm always on the lookout for these quirky radio stories and I you know talk about thinking about the world through the lens of radio and it it ran across my news feed that this exhibit was opening at this museum and it just sounded fascinating and and I've been interested in radio art for a long time and it's something that I've really wanted to bring to the podcast more and more and the exhibit is kind of an interesting combination of radio art and transmission art because they set up a a radio they set up a broadcasting you know radio kind of l- very low power low range radio station um, and then they're also broadcasting um, a piece where they've kind of strung together uh, bits and pieces of music and radio broadcasts and uh, tidbits of historical information about how radios have been used in prison. So it just seemed like so many different threads that might be interesting to our radio survivor listeners. So yeah. I I was excited to reach out and talk to them. Yeah, we learned from that artist collective, uh, Provisional Island, that set up this exhibit that um, there was no end to the tidbits, to the details, and to the, to the stories that they found in, in the history it's of radio use radio broadcasting uh regarding prisons and yeah. prisoners that there's oh, there's yeah. all sorts of ways that the that the radio i mean clearly the radio goes through the walls so that people on the outside can communicate with people on the inside there's also ways that prisoners use radios to communicate through these walls both with prisoners inside and people on the outside there's a lot there's a lot of history throughout the the century yeah i mean since well, yeah, back, pretty much the advent the of radio yeah, exactly. Uh, and they were they were sharing things they found from, you know, around 1924. And they even found some anecdotes and images of of radios being used in that very prison where the exhibit is mm. in the 1920s. So, yeah, and, and I, I really other- love that. Um, the the little radio cut out of the pages of the Bible, so that you know when the book is closed, it's just a let's book. not give away all the secrets. Well, There's I, some I really. I, I I do want to make a quick note. You know, they they did note that 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 transmitters could be constructed from the radio from a radio itself, and that right. in in many prisons, uh, the inmates the residents are able to buy radios in the commissary. When I was in high school, so this is back in the. Uh, you know, early 20th century or so. Um, I myself built a transmitter out of a radio 
I learned a way. It was it was actually a, a high school kid, a friend of mine, who was a bigger kind of nerd than I, if you can imagine <laughs> it, who taught me this method. And it worked with kind of any FM radio. You would open it up, and you could attach a microphone Neat. across a particular resistor, I believe. Any radio? Pretty much any small, like, pocket FM radio, yeah. And you could connect a, a – and because basically a radio – has to oscillate at a particular frequency in order to pick up that frequency. And through that oscillation, there are harmonics, mm-hmm. right? So it's multiples of that frequency, you know, or sub-multiples, you know. So uh, I'm going to get the math wrong right now, so somebody's going to correct me. But, you know, if, if your radio was tuned to 92.1, you would get these harmonics, these spurs that it would radiate at like 90, you know, 3.6 or something. Mm-hmm. And you could basically modulate those uh, those harmonics and it would transmit. Now, not very far, right? And you could sort of hook up a, an antenna to it to, to make that longer. But if you were trying to communicate with someone three cells over. Yeah, we in, did it. In a, uh, in a stone prison. In high school band, marching band, we, w- we went on band trips and we would set up a little radio station in the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, keep it on the down low, but you know, wow. you know you've got like three or four kids per room, That's right? Great. And, and we this is deep history on Paul yeah. Reese Mandel, <laughs> and it's not necessarily that uh, much. It's not that black market, and because it really is, it's so it low just, power. Yeah, yeah, it's a reasonable use of the airwaves. Yeah, I, I presume I I did not have the capacity to measure its output, <laughs> and I don't think you can do it with like a, a radio you would buy today, uh, because most of them have like little digital circuits. Most of it's yeah. been digitized or, or put into ICs. You you know, a little integrated chips, even if it's not digital. Whereas back, you know, even in the eighties, if you bought like a pocket radio at Kmart, um, it was mostly discrete components and that's why you could wire them up. But that would probably be the kind of radio maybe even now that's still sold in, in prison. So that kind of brought me back a little bit. And then after we hear from the folks from the Arts Collective Provisional Island, uh, Jennifer, you recently were able to go in person and tour a station, a very special station uh, that we featured on the podcast a little while ago. What's that station? It's VCS Radio. It's special in so many ways, Paul, but um, it's a high school radio station that is not only low power FM, but it's also HD hmm. and it's housed in a music room. <laughs> and it's housed in a music room because it's attached to a music program. Yeah, the band. I that's so exciting because we I, we love high school radio so much. I want to know more about all the high school radio stations across the country, and that for there to be one that's in the band room where students are 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 sharing music. Over and they the have HD and, and HD where they have multiple channels on their one so FM I'm, station. I'm 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 looking and- forward to that tour. And way more surprises than that. I'm just going to do a quick tease. There's Morse code there and carrier current there and a Tesla coil. (laughs) And that's coming up uh, later on today's show. Yeah. So that's after we hear from the Artist Collective Provisional Island about their prison radio themed exhibit, An Electric Kite, here on Radio Survivor. Today on the line from the East Coast, we have three members of the Provisional Island Artist Collective. And they're here to talk about a really fascinating exhibit that is in an old prison in Philadelphia. And the exhibit caught our attention because it has a radio theme. So welcome to Heidi Ratanovanich. Hi, y'all. And Michael McCann. Hello. And Eileen Shoemate. Hi. So we're here to talk about your exhibit, An Electric Kite. 
that is part of a series of artist installations in an old penitentiary in Philadelphia. And and Eileen, maybe you could give us a bit of the backstory on on how your artist collective got hooked up with this old prison. Yeah, um, Heidi and I live in Philadelphia, and we kind of were aware of Eastern State. The amazing mix of it is both like an incredible historical museum, and they also give grants for artists to install work that is all like prison related. We started working with Michael and became really interested in radios and making transmitters and kind of saw, um, well, at one point we like, I can't remember how, how did we find that radio transmitter that was built in Germany? I can't we remember. Found a, we found a That's photo Michael. of it. Yeah, this is Michael. Yeah, we found a photo of the of the transmitter in a in an article. I think it was like one of the the first um, catalysts for the for the project. And the and the yeah. photo is of a it's a little micro transmitter and it's built out of you know electronics taken out of uh, or like a components taken out of a, electronics and then kind of soldered into a piece of cardboard. So a prisoner made it uh, surreptitiously in, in a prison in, in Germany in the 70s. And so this was kind of a really exciting, just like an object, and then, you know, started us down a, a path of research. Can you... This is here. I'm going to rewind and um, kind of give you a little, like, what that find meant for Provisional Island when Michael discovered this image. In like eight years ago, Provisional Island, we came together as an artist collective through our interest in sort of like interest in old practices that we wanted to renew or learn more about. For example, building a cup oven, things like that, fermentation, sort of these like kind of old techniques and processes. We were like drawn together and we're like, hey, we have this interest with each other. Let's make some stuff. Let's make art. And I was in a grad program five years ago where I started dabbling with DIY transmitter kits. So I'd learned about this, like that you could just build these like micro transmitters from a kit you could buy on the internet for like $20. Um, And so that was just like the sort of beginning of that sort of technology for me, aside from just like being a person that like listens to radio all the time and kind of like, needing that space so that was sort of like for me the origin of like trying to understand this and like how important radio has played in various spaces and one of the big I think most exciting things I learned about was this Japanese artist his name I can't remember but it was this like small project where he transmitted had a small transmission in his apartment and it only broadcasted to the apartments in the building and he would have these like dance parties and it was just like a very like small scale like production but it was like it was so beautiful in in this way that it was like yes yes thank you for mini fm radio parties yeah Yeah, regular listeners to radio survivor will have already heard paul reismandel there nerd out about these part 15 although it's japan so it's not part 15 at all i'm getting past myself but yeah uh little (laughs) radio broadcasts for his party for his building to hang out and have a party 
Yeah, and that's always been sort of like a, a thing in my mind and how like exciting that is. Um, and so that was something that I think I brought to Provisional Island. And we've always just kind of dabbled in like building these transmitters and figuring out ways how to like broadcast using that space as like the form was really important to us. And so um, this has been our second project where we've sort of included radio as like the main sort of like medium. Could you walk us through, because I know there's a transmission component to the exhibit. uh, Could you walk us through what a visitor would experience if they walked into your exhibit at Eastern State Penn? This Heidi here. uh, So a visitor walks in, they're walking down a corridor um, and they come there are two um, opposing cells that are facing each other. In one cell is a, the transmitter, which is on a pedestal. In, and it's like this DIY transmitter embedded in a book. And there's a LED light showing that it's live and active. Um, and across the opposing cell in there, the visitor walks into this um, this similar pedestal that has this prison-issued radio. And there you see the radio and it's broadcasting this um, loop of, uh, it's playing the broadcast from the transmitter of this half an hour loop of clips from various radio um, projects. And I I got a chance to listen to that 30 minutes and it's an amazing collection of, it sounds like um, folks on some of these call-in shows where you send messages to prisoners and you also have historical tidbits about how people have done their own projects with radios within prisons to kind of eavesdrop on guards. Eileen, could you talk about some of some of the items in this broadcast and how you found them? Sure. Some of the clips were actually from um, Decarcerate, um, which is a group here that had like a little radio show for a while and they connected me to their archive and so some of it was from that, and also some of it actually I read and a friend of ours read, actually read from the Pennsylvania, like, are they actually, it might have been the New York handbook policy for... I think it might um, have both. Okay, did I do both? I'm like, what am Yeah, so I actually did some reading just from that, like, to kind of describe, because it is extremely hard and you have to save up a lot of money to be able to get a radio in prison, or any electronic, really, and there's, like, so many rules. Um, So some of it we actually pulled from just articles or, like, snippets that kind of we wanted to include. And then, yeah, I mean, I just kind of was doing a lot of digging around, like, basically which... there's, There's, you know, there's a ton of radio programs that do either, like, are trying to, like, connect people from the outside to people on the inside or are trying to, like, tell people's stories, like, that, um, you know, why they are in prison or, um, like, living in prison. Like, there's, there's a lot there. It was just kind of figuring out, like, who has kind of an archive um, and, and also, like, trying to find things that are particular 
to like the East Coast or Pennsylvania. And there was definitely some things uncovered about the history of radios at Eastern State as well. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of was just trying to capture like a pretty broad range of the ways in which radios are used, either like in prisons or to connect people in prison. And, you know, it was a pretty intense process just because so much of it is really um, heavy hearted and just um, very touching. So this is Paul. Um, and, and this transmission, is it intended to be sort of more than representative of what somebody who is incarcerated might be hearing or listening to, um, even though it's sort of in this particular installation, it's actually originating from within the walls of the prison itself? I think this is Michael. Um, I think it's more trying to encompass the, like a constellation of of the different ways that radio intersects and influences and sort of subverts the prison experience. Um, you know, some of the, the call-in shows especially is something that's, that people would listen to in prison. Um, and if, I don't know if people don't know what a call-in show is, it's just, usually it's, it's just recordings of, you know, loved ones leaving messages for, for people on the inside who, may not may not have enough phone time or maybe on lockdown or just another way to kind of uh connect with them and they're, and they're really they're it's they're heartbreaking to listen to so th- so that's something that prisoners would would be able to hear but then we also included um historical facts and articles um music some of the some of the music that the Lom- that Alan Lomax and his son recorded in prisons in the south a lot of that kind of that kind of music, and there was a, um, a very famous radio program called Thirty Minutes Behind the Walls, uh, which unfortunately, there, as far as we know, there's no existing recordings of those shows. But um, uh, Alan Lomax was able to he recorded some of the musicians who performed on that show, so we were able to include include that as well. So we tried to catch like a. I think we wanted to show the the breadth of um, of radio's sort of history and influence on on prisons in the United States. And so, why the device of a transmitter from within the prison was that a, was that something that would have been common would, that many people would have been able to devise such a thing, or, or how does that how did, how did the, you connect those two threads? I mean, we found from that beginning, from that finding that first little radio, that handmade transmitter, we found just tons of evidence of, of prisoners using mm-hmm. radios. One of the most common things is that a, a prisoners will alter the, the radios they buy in a commissary so they can listen in on broader frequencies, so they can listen in on guards' radios, for example. Um, and then some prisoners will, will hack those, those radios so that they can transmit back and forth like walkie-talkies, and we found one, there's an account um, in an autobiography of a death row inmate talking about at night on death row, each person would use their radio and they'd, they'd all communicate with each other and they'd play, they'd have like talent shows and people would tell stories and they'd share their kind of feelings and fears. So, you know, like finding stories like this struck us with how powerful of a tool this this is in such a harsh and sort of inhumane conditions. Wow. Some of the research 
we were assisted by um, Annie Anderson, who is an archivist at Eastern State Penitentiary. And she found this sort of wealth of information about prisoners making either illegal radios or transmitters in Eastern State, you know, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. This was like a real problem. Mainly the prisoners had a lot of access to tools, and so they would build these kind of radio sets, um, sort of like a crystal receiver or a little transmitter, and they'd use it to, to communicate with people outside or, or to each other or to listen to radio programs that were banned. The, um, Eastern State had an internal radio system so that each prisoner had headphones and there was four jacks in the wall and they could plug it in and then the jack runs to four radio receivers and the, the guards choose the stations and then turn it off at some point. So, mm. so having your own set would mean that you could listen to, listen to whatever you want. I mean, one, one tidbit we found was that uh, Dragnet and other crime shows were, were censored because they didn't want to influence the prisoners. So this is something that we included in our, uh, in our piece. It's interesting the details you provide about the types of materials within prisons that could be utilized to make radios. Um, could you talk a bit about, I think it was a story from 1924 about what prisoners would use to build a radio? Eileen, isn't that your... <laughs> Wait, what they would use to build the... To build the radio. They used bed coils, right? They were, oh, they were making... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From Eastern State, the... Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I think I heard something about mattress springs and water pipes. Yeah, I think they would make this this article right. from I could find it. Yeah, from, I don't from the twenties totally <laughs> is uh, yeah, it talks about using mattress springs and and probably grounding to the or using the water pipes as an antenna. I mean, probably a really really rudimentary receiver but if you already have the headphones then you're sort of probably halfway there yeah i mean it's very interesting that that since the very early days of radio you had these experiments happening in prisons and and i would guess that prisoners might have even been doing things using morse code you know before there was broadcast technology yeah i mean this isn't related to prison but i remember reading about someone who was stranded in the desert in Australia built a, a very simple transmitter using the battery in his car and was able to tap out a sort of distress signal and was found that way. So I imagine it, you could do it in a, in a prison cell just as easily. I think there was also a, um, there was an image on your online exhibit of a radio hidden in a Bible from that same era um, you know, the idea of sneaking things in, um, in something that does not appear suspicious at all. Yeah, that was definitely how they were often kept, like, um, any of, like, the kind of contraband, like, electronics or transmitter or, like, speakers or um, microphones, like, all of that, I feel like, was often embedded um, in books to hide them. So... Yeah, And we actually had a, there was an image, right, from Eastern State that was also... Um, yeah, that's from Eastern State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in which, like, you know, prisoners, they were doing the same thing. And and this is why we wanted to include the sort of book element, too. 
show the ingenuity of, of prisoners innovating the, the rules. So what are some and to of, sort of the... sort of demonstrate, too, I think in our installation of this, that visual, as you were describing from the picture and having that in the space, how it, like, sort of, like, demonstrates, like, yeah, this thing that is about communication, that is about connection, has to be secret, has to be, like, you know, we, unex- you know, like, hidden. And I think that is... Uh, just like a really powerful moment for like people to like see like that an object like broadcasting the 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 power of that you know is something that people were like trying to like capture but also like you had to keep it like from these guards or from from the authority and that's the voice of Heidi Ratanovich a member of the Provisional Island Art Collective we're also joined with uh, the fellow members, Michael McCann and Eileen Shoemate, and we're talking about their work, An Electric Kite, which is an exhibit being held in a now um, repurposed former prison, now an art space. Is that fair? It's it's actually primarily a museum. It's, it's, it's a, and it's interesting in that way because it's really just a historical museum. Like it's a very precious space for people that work there. Like everything is um, like a historical object and you can't really touch anything. Mm -hmm. And people go there that are really interested in like the history of America. And like, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty strange. Very old, right? It's very, very old. Yeah. It's the oldest. The first. Yeah. It's the first prison. So it's, it's a strange, it's a strange combination because I think you have a lot of people that go there that are kind of like, interested in prison culture in a, in a way. And then all of the incredible art that is in it, in the space is really um, kind of touching on the like atrocities that are like in prison or just like decarceration or prison abolition. Like they really are trying to connect people into thinking, hmm. why are we doing this more? Like, and yeah, so this there's a lot of tension in the space, which is interesting, but Primarily, it's not an art space. It's just kind of like a really beautiful and like disturbing, huge prison that is kind of deteriorating but preserved. <laughs> and in a way, I can imagine that that sort of juxtaposition, the fact that it's not an art gallery and that you are uh, encountering uh, people who aren't there to see art, it gives uh, your work with the radio and the transmitter and the, you know, as contraband, it gives it a lot more. Um, there's a lot more weight. There's a lot more opportunity to communicate something surprising. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's why like in deliberating, like what to include, which was extremely hard, like, you know, thinking a lot about like what is going to connect people and like help people to think about like the history and like, like humanize prisoners. And it was definitely like a complicated combination of like, of course you want people to like engage and like be interested. And then also like, reality which is you know like can be very brutal when it comes to existing in a prison so yeah definitely a challenge <laughs> you know i i maybe find this space a little bit more hopeful because it we can imagine a future when the only prisons in this country are just museums of something we once did and don't do anymore yeah that's that's an interesting way of looking at it 
so I wanted to just point out the exhibit is up through at least November and it's in Philadelphia at the Eastern State Penitentiary. Is that the official name yeah, of the museum? That's right. Yeah. And what is it that you hope that visitors will take away from from your piece? I think like Eileen touched on this, that it's a really that sifting through a lot of this material is really painful and you see um, the, the human cost of incarceration, especially sort of mass incarceration in this country. But um, there was also a sense of just like resilience, um, especially in uh, the way that, that people used transmission and, you know, built their own transmitters so they could communicate with each other, so they could kind of have a connection with their fellow prisoners, with the outside. It was just something really, and it spoke to like a, a spirit of perseverance under really adverse conditions. Another thing that's included in, in the piece, which I think was another uh, current that kind of brought us to this piece, was uh, I found there's a, there was a prison abolitionist pirate radio um, outside of a prison in the Midwest. And so this group of, of uh, anti-prison activists would go out into the woods with a little transmitter and transmit to prisoners who knew at a certain time that this, this radio would be, this uh, broadcast would be for them. Um, and the, the, the broadcast, the broadcasters were eventually arrested and although nothing came of it, it ended the transmission. But again, it showed this kind of, this way that these activists could connect with the prisoners and the prisoners could connect back with the activists. It was inspiring. Wow. And so when did that happen? What era? Uh, it's, it's recently in the last five or six years. Fascinating. And you know much about the content of what they were broadcasting from their station? They would broadcast um, maybe news that was censored from, uh, you know, that, that prisoners might not get um, things like prison uprisings or prisoner strikes in other prisons. Um, there was, there was um, you know, there's been in the past decade, there's been a huge uh, movement for, for prisoners to strike against conditions or, you know, a lot of prisoners are compelled to work for, you know, 10 cents an hour, things like that. And so this is a way to kind of communicate to prisoners what was happening in other prisons. Similarly, people could, prisoners could call in and leave messages and then they'd rebroadcast those messages. So it's a really fascinating sort of project in its own right. That is really interesting, Michael McCann. And did you were you able to use that material in your in your piece, an electric kite? Uh, they we were able to use it a little bit, yeah. So you pulled um, a? Did you pull a clip? Is that like a snippet? Yeah, yeah. And that and that was part of what um, uh, people who visited your exhibit in this uh, in this museum space in this former prison they could hear being transmitted from one. Uh, from one cell to another, uh, a snippet of this pirate radio broadcast, this anti, this prison abolitionist pirate radio broadcast. Yeah, among yeah. A, a wealth of other things. <laughs> That's really yeah. great. And um, yeah. so yeah, so you guys, you guys put together a whole, um, 
uh, 30 minutes worth of a, a montage, a collage of, of all this material. Yeah. I was going to say too, like, I feel like one thing that I felt like was really important is like find a way for people to like really have empathy, you know, like to really think about what it means to be spent, like spending your life or spending years, many years of your life, like in prison. And I think like, there was definitely like a pretty intense and like dark portion of those 30 minutes that was, you know, talking about like people describing being in solitary for like big chunks of time. And that, I mean, is pretty excruciating to listen to. Um, and it's, you, you can really feel it. Like you feel what they're going through and, um, or like the call-in shows were so powerful. Like, I think you can really feel like what a mother is going through, like to have, to not be able to like, you know, watch her son grow up. Like so many things like, you know, that I feel like we captured um, would really help a listener like understand and really feel what it's like to either be um, someone with a loved one on the inside or especially when it comes to solitary, I feel like, that is something that um, is just so important in regards to like really helping people understand how um, inhumane that is. And I, I feel like that was a really powerful part for me. And I hope like that was like one part I was really excited that like people could hopefully like really be able to to hear and, and feel that. I'm going to chime into a tidy here um, thinking about just what the work installation points or like what an audience or a visitor is um, we hope that they get, or I feel like, I hope that it points to this sort of just general like idea of communication and how like people that are in prison or just like are, Take it, their rights are taken away from them, how important, like, communication and being connected to people are, be it, like, letters or, you know, other forms, but how radio, how voice, how connecting, um, and how radio kind of, like, brings those things together is, like, really important. And as a visitor, you're walking into the space that is a prison, you're, you're in a prison cell, which is, like, also in, in like, very powerful and while you're in there you're listening to these various sort of ways in which people are trying to stay connected and like reach out to each other um I think that to me is like something I hope the the piece is doing is pointing to this like you know this role in which like a freedom of like being able to just communicate is being like restricted and how it like to think about what it means to like be able to just call people or like communicate and and how that is part of like humanity like how we connect with people yeah that makes sense and that's part of um i don't think we've spoken about the title of the exhibit and how that's connected to the whole idea of communication so what is the significance of an electric kite and and what is a kite in prison terminology yeah michael here uh, a kite is just a form of communication. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think the most common form is, is a note that's written down and then passed hand to hand down a cell block. Um, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like a colloquial word for any form of communication. 
we we read about people who would string, you know, tin tin cans between wires or or shout down drain type pipes, or in in some cases hack radios so that they could communicate amongst themselves. So we took the name from that this sort of rudimentary form of communication, and then you know this is just a an electric adaptation of that communication. And can you guys speak to how radios are being used in prisons today? And, you know, are there more restrictions, you know, because you've pointed out that people are taking apart radios and, and using them um, for purposes for which uh, the prison really doesn't want them to be used, like eavesdropping on guards. Um, So are there restrictions on, on people's access to radios because of this or, uh, do prisoners continue to have access to radios? I, I feel like most most prisons, you can have them, but they it has to be a prison-issued radio, which is clear, it's transparent, and doesn't have an auxiliary input um, or output. And it, yeah, they're modified so that they can't be, you know, things can't be hidden inside them um, or... Yeah, like really or basic. Like, so yeah, or like in theory, like a a guard could look because the the case is transparent. You could look at the inside and see if it's been modified. Although I I just wonder if the guard would be able to tell. But yeah, <laughs> I mean people people use radios still. I think people smuggle in cell phones and all kinds of things. So yeah, um, the the radio that we have. Um, in the installation is also is a prison issued like larger there's a lot of smaller radios you can get um, but we have like the larger scale prison issue radio that is um, playing our broadcast so and is that the sort of radio that anybody would see outside of a prison do you you have any idea no (laughs) you would people collect them I mean you can buy them online uh we we got ours by just calling a company who only supplies um, items to prison commissaries and buying it from them. And you know, they sell to the public, I guess, but yeah. they don't. Their main everything they sell is just goes to different prison commissaries, mm. and they have a whole range of clear electronics, clear clear fans, clear typewriters. Uh, <laughs> typewriters, power surge protectors. It's fascinating. A whole yeah. other industry that most of us are unaware of. Yeah, I think that's like, for us, uh, a lot of our practice is, is starts with the premise that if you kind of look at a little piece of technology, it'll tell you all about the world, you know, and the history behind it. And so that's why we thought we could approach the prison experience through the the radio itself. Yeah, it's really fascinating the the different aspects of radio that you're able to explore in that exhibit. And I mean, a lot of what we do on Radio Survivor is looking at the world through the lens of radio. And um, I like how how you've done this on a very focused, um, you know, it's a very focused 
emphasis on prison culture and 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 it leaves me with more questions and and more things that I would like to explore um just from getting this this glimpse at it yeah glimpse at this world as as per usual uh one guest and in this case three guests on radio survivor suggests a whole like different uh direction that we could head in on the show of future guests and talking about future topics yeah, radio really does open up a whole a whole window onto the world. So there's one like kind of quirky tidbit just from the broadcast um, or an interesting intersection. Um, you had an anecdote about Captain Crunch, um, you know, who is this phone freak. Captain Crunch the phone freak. Phone freak, phone hacker guy who um, got sent to prison uh, because of, I think, phone fraud. And so you had a story in there about how he, you know, immediately was manipulating radios as soon as he got into yeah. prison. Um, does one of you, could one of you tell that story um, in a little more detail? Anyway, I want to jump in and, and see, Paul, do you want to tell us who a phone, what phone freaking was all about? Or, or maybe is that uh, something that Michael, can you tell us what, what phone freaking is? I can try. I can try. I mean, um, my understanding is that it was kind of hacking phones using, um, certain tones would kind of unlock um, capabilities on a, on a regular phone. So I think that was sort of an early form of hacking. Yeah. In, the in 80s. fact, it's something which Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak did before they started Apple. They sold these uh, boxes that create tones that basically were used by the phone company and they could make free phone calls. I, I remember being a kid mm. and having one friend show me that if you picked up a payphone and pressed, and I forget the series of buttons, but if you press like three buttons and then two buttons at once and then hung up the phone, it would immediately start ringing. That's a version of that. And yeah. with these special tones, which are tones that your dial pad doesn't create on its own, um, it's uh, it then would... Um, let you to let you basically control it as if you're an employee of the phone company. Secret codes to unlock the powers and of Captain the phone. Crunch sold these boxes. Mm-hmm. And, then and there was, was also the when those fob recorders came out. Sorry, this is Heidi. Someone was just telling me about the fob recorders, like these little keychain recorders that if you recorded the quarter ah. going in, you could play that into the receiver and you can make free phone calls on, on pay phones. <laughs> if people remember oh, what yeah. those are. Yeah, and the Captain um, Crunch reference is because there was a toy that came in a Captain Crunch box that was like a whistle or something. And that it made, made the right frequency. Yeah, yeah, the right. Time. Right, right, yeah. And that that story we got from um, uh, an article. Um, yeah, on the Marshall the Project, Gorilla Radio, Gorilla Radio which was which was a really like a starting point for this project. Um, mm-hmm. So and, this article, uh, Gorilla Rate, can you say more about this? I, I'm, I'm not familiar with this reference. It's a, um, it's an article by a journalist. I don't want to butcher his name. It's, uh, Maurice Chama. It's Maurice yeah. Chama is, yeah, yeah, is how I pronounce it. Um, and it's a, it's a really great article about sort of radio culture, especially, um, the sort of hacking, and, and misuse of radios, um, but it's kind of a great overview of, of um, a lot of these these topics. This is a magazine article, newspaper, journal. What, what? Um, it's 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 online. It's um, the Marshall Project is a criminal justice oriented journalism. I see. 
uh, website. Um, yeah. I think they partner with newspapers like the time, the New York times, uh, to, to place their, their investigative pieces. And so, yeah. And, and in this little article is, is an anecdote about, uh, this guy, Captain Crunch, who was sent up for phone freaking and then, you know, discovered how malleable the prison issue radios were and, and started to not only change them himself, but also show every, all his, his fellow inmates how they could, they could yeah. do it too. He, he like rewired um, his radio basically to listen in on the walkie talkies of the guards and figure out kind of where they were going and when they were moving to a different kind of um, area in the prison so that they could basically do whatever they want. Um, so kind of like make sure the coast was clear basically. Um, and yeah, he taught a lot of prisoners how to also like modify and like hack their radios. So, and yeah, it's I don't, so fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating thinking mm-hmm. about this DIY hacker culture in prisons. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like it's kind of survival. A lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So any, any, any closing thoughts on, uh, you know, if people come to the exhibit, uh, what they should pay close attention to? I feel like we said a lot of, or I, yeah, I feel like I said a lot of the things, you know, <laughs> um, I, that I would want someone to take away from it. You know, it's, it takes some time, you know, we, we put benches in so that you can sit and listen and, <laughs> and think about sort of the different there's just kind of different tones to the piece, you know, some are sort of more lighthearted and inspiring and some are much darker or, or, or sort of tragic. So, you know, which is again, like Eileen said, it's hopes to communicate the humanity of, of people who are incarcerated and that they experience a spectrum of, or they have a, a spectrum of experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just, like, thinking about, like, transcending prison walls and, like, how, like, like, the ingenuity of prisoners, like, you know, I think that this piece really tries to capture that um, desire, energy, and both from people on the outside and the inside. You know, what I want people to take away from the piece is just to um, experience kind of what it was like to, like, you know... Mm, be able to transcend the walls of prison and connect people on the outside. And I think like from both sides, we kind of tried to capture how like this communication existed and um, was kind of vital to so many prisoners and people like on the outside. Eileen Shoemate, Heidi Ratanovanich, and Michael McCann of uh, Provisional Island Art Collective. Your exhibit, An Electric Kite, is up now in um, Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. And people, if they want to check it out and learn more, they can read um, read about it at the show notes for today's episode of Radio Survivor. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. Jennifer, thank you so much for bringing us that interview with Provisional Island. Yeah, it 
I, you know, it was, the exhibit was so much more than I had anticipated. And it's fascinating to think about how prisoners have such restricted communication and, and all the ways that radio has been used for prisoners to not only hear from loved ones on, on say radio shows that are being piped into prisons, but also how prisoners have hacked radios in order to subvert prison communication. And then even how pirate radio has been used to by activists to communicate into a prison. It, it's just kind of blows the mind. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's not dissimilar, although uh, it's radically different from just what community radio is for those of us not in prison. That like you know, we use we use community radio to build stronger communities to communicate with people that are are not you know uh, sitting next to us. And and of course, prisoners are going to be using the radio for the same thing, but their needs are are so much greater because one of the reasons or one of the uh, results of them being behind bars is that their access to community is extremely limited and this is radio survivor you just heard from eric klein jennifer waits is on the line from san francisco my name is paul reesmandel and you can find out more about everything we talk about on the program at our website radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and we have show notes associated with uh, every single one of these episodes this is episode number 147 and as well uh, we'd love for you to subscribe. If you listen to this as a podcast, and it is available to as a podcast, maybe that's how you're listening, we'd love for you to subscribe, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever application you like to use. That way you get the, the show every single week. We're also heard on radio stations across the country, mostly community and low-power stations across the country. Learn where you can hear us on the radio at Radio Survivor.com. And if you have any comments about the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Well, so going back to podcast number 94, episode number 94, pretty much a year ago, June of 2017, we talked to Ralph Martin, who's the operations director for a radio station, KVCB LP at the Vacaville Christian schools. And initially Ralph got a hold of us because he wanted to tell us all about how his station had adopted digital HD radio, which maybe some people have heard about. You listen to commercial radio, they often advertise it. You can mostly only hear it in your car. It's pretty much, you can get a few HD radio receivers for your home, but mostly it's a car radio kind of thing. And we really wanted to learn more. And and Ralph told us all about why his station, which is a low-powered station, 100-watt station, chose to adopt this digital technology, which is uncommon to nearly unheard of in in low-power FM. And now, Jennifer, you had the opportunity to actually go out there and visit Vacaville Christian Schools and visit KVCBLPHD, a <laughs> high school radio station. Tell us more. Well, I was definitely inspired, you know, after we spoke to him for Radio Survivor, you know, we were ostensibly talking about the fact that it was low power and HD and, and, you know, everything else was sort of in the background. And, and I kept hearing all these tidbits from him that were incredibly intriguing. You know, first of all, high school radio, which I love and I'm fascinated by. Um, And then he mentioned it was part of this broader music program and, and it just seemed like there were all these hidden surprises. So it was 
another one of these visits where it was greatly anticipated. I was really excited to meet him in person and spent pretty much a whole school day there with him at um, in the band room where the radio station is located. And it, the, the passion that Ralph Martin has for, for radio and for music is really infectious. And, and he's done so many crazy experiments there. He, he's been at the school for 33 years. And in 1997, he initially started up a carrier current station as a way for students to share music appreciation and express music appreciation. So it was a teaching tool. So carrier current for people who aren't familiar with the term is an AM radio station. It's low powered and it broadcasts literally over <clears throat> the electrical current inside of a building. And so it can really much only be received inside of a building or, or another uh, structure that's connected by the same electrical lines. A really cool and like dare I say, like I mean, like like steampunk in a way, just like exactly. like such a such a remarkable way that especially in the um the 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 first half of the twentieth century, like radio was spread around on like college campuses with this carrier. Exactly. So he took kind of like updated an old technology even in nineteen ninety seven, but but put it employed so that students could use this. Yeah, and he was broadcasting to the band room, and 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 then eventually. Um, you know, applied for a low power FM license and, you know, then added HD onto that. But he still actually uses carrier current. Uh, you know, he, he talks about some of the secret broadcasts that they have. And one of which is a carrier current station that he uses for a final exam where he actually, he poses the students, he poses a question to the students and, and the students can answer the question only by building a crystal radio and listening to the carrier current station that he has broadcasting in, in the band room. And, and are they in a, a real, foxhole? Yeah. <laughs> is this a real teacher? Did you find, did you like fall into a film about like wow. the coolest teacher? I wish he was my teacher. Yeah. I was just, and these kids are so lucky. And I think I even said something to, um, to the students and to another staff member about, you know, is he like, the favorite teacher on this campus because, you know, I would imagine he would be, he's, he's doing all these exciting things. Um, but I want to tell you about this final exam. He gives students an empty toilet paper roll, a safety pin, a dulled razor blade, a broken pencil, copper wire, and a wood or plastic block and tells them they have to design and build a device to decode the broadcast. So it is so, almost like they're like, they are in prison with the minimum of like, <laughs> of like, of, of implements really it's a real connection yeah. there <laughs> yeah they're building essentially a foxhole radio and he told me he told me the final exam question which i didn't really want to publish in my piece sure. because i didn't <laughs> want to reveal it but he said oh i could always change the question but he even was airing an old radio show um you know, like a vintage radio show was part of the, the exam question. <laughs> so it's just got so many layers that are so fascinating. Um, and then they have a hidden Morse code um, message embedded in one of their broadcasts through the FSK identifier function, which is um, beyond my ability wow, to understand. Um, and, and, you know, and he wouldn't say that he's a radio guy, but clearly he is. Um, and he's clearly a tinkerer and, and has a deep understanding of radio technology to be 
undertaking all of these what's, projects. <laughs> what's going on with FSK? Why? I've never, it's a term I've never heard of. I'm stumped. Okay, cool. I am stumped. <laughs> Straight to um, Wikipedia anything, after the, after Anything the... that I know about that is like, forget it. I'm stumped. So yeah. somebody, uh, this is one where we're going to have to rely on many of the incredibly knowledgeable radio nerds in our audience to tweet us at Radio Survivor or go to the, our Facebook page or drop us an email podcast at radiosurvivor.com and tell us what in the heck the FSK identifier is. But there's so much more there than the FSK identifier because I, yeah. this station has, <laughs> do I understand that this station has maybe what is perhaps the last existent radio orchestra in the United States? Aww. Yeah, I mean, they claim to have the only um, symphony orchestra at radio they claim to be the only radio station in the United States with a symphony orchestra. I believe it. And that's because they're, you know, within this music department and, and the symphony orchestra there does some incredible things. And so, you know, Ralph is in charge of this too. He's running this, you know, incredible music program where students are accompanying silent films. They're writing pieces to accompany. Oh, wow vintage silent films as well, um, including early works by Thomas Edison. Um, they, he, he met up with somebody um, to have somebody help him build a Tesla coil that they could use as another instrument during performances. So a Tesla the, coil as instrument. Wait, yeah. I don't, this is, this is also a new uh, application for a Tesla coil to me. Uh, what sound does a Tesla coil make? <laughs> well, it's sort know? of a staticky. He demo- so he had the Tesla coil in the corner of the room, and at lunch, you know, he's like, "Oh, do you want?" I was asking, <laughs> "What is that?" He's like, "Oh, do you want me to? Do you want me to turn it on?" I was like, "Yes." Um, so it, you know, they're often used- this is like music concrete. This is. <laughs> music concrete i mean this is and of course nikola tesla is is often uh uh, considered an unheralded co-inventor of radio as well right Uh, marconi is is the the big name but there are many people who contend that uh nikola tesla was was coming up with the same ideas about the same time as often happens with uh a number with with scientific discoveries but this is uh yeah this is amazing so tesla coils are often used um you know, as part of films and special effects. Yeah. And, Visual though, usually. Yeah. And so he turned it on and, um, it, it, it looks like lightning. Um, and it makes that crackly electrical lightning sound. And, and so, you know, they've used it and they even used it right around the time of my visit where he had students compose a piece, uh, that I believe, uh, was meant to evoke what it would be like uh, to be a plane flying through a storm. And and so something like the Tesla ah. coil, you know, when you're performing this piece and then you have that on stage with you, um, it creates this eerie, you know, stormy exactly. thunder and lightning type. And also type like the, the air itself gets sort of like electrified, doesn't it? I mean, do you, you feel it, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, a a crazy multimedia experience. I don't even know what to say. It's, it's like uh, it's more than multimedia sensory, multisensory. There you go, Eric. Um, 
So what? Yeah, so it's <laughs> so it's a really creative environment there, as you might imagine. And, That's great. Um, and one of the so the station has has uh, four HD channels that they have to program, and and on one of them they're airing student produced pieces, including sound art. So you know he encourages people to go out and take field recordings, and and so there's some definitely a high appreciation for creativity and experimental work at yeah. the station. Did did you get a sense for how many students participate in all of this? It's around 200. So wow. everybody who's in the music program participates in radio. But that's really huge for, I think for, it seems huge to me for high school. It yeah. seems bigger than most college radio Fo- station staffs. Follow up question. How many years has he been at it with this HD uh, or yeah, HD low power station. Well, that's only been recent. Yeah, but I, I just what my what I'm wondering is how many graduating classes of students who've been uh, steeped in this much transmission art and radio. Yeah, I wonder did he, did he do the transmission art and things before uh, he had the the HD channels? Right? Was he? Uh, it, but it sounds like it runs deep because I he just, had the the carrier current radio yeah. station going back. I to just the 90s. imagine that there's a, a yeah. lot of. Uh, there's a lot of creative radio people seeded into the into the world now that have come out of this high school because of this well, one bef- teacher. And before the low power FM HD station, I believe that's when they started doing their own radio drama as well. So yeah. they also did a live radio drama um, that was a sci-fi story, and they performed it on stage with you know foley artists, you know full on. Uh, radio drama like they do in the olden days. So. Or now they're doing been- in podcasting like the new days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we are talking about VCS radio at the Vacaville Christian schools in Vacaville, California, home to KVCB LP, a low power high school radio station that also records in that also, I'm sorry, not records, also broadcasts in digital HD radio. So there's an analog signal and a digital signal. We first talked with Ralph Martin, who's the operation director for the station about a year ago on episode 94. And Jennifer Waits, you just had an opportunity to visit there at KVCB. We, we're, we're just about out of time here. So is there anything in particular you want to add to this? I mean, there's so much you've already shared about the amazing things they do. At, at the school with the radio station? Is there something that you really want to make sure uh, people don't miss? Well, that he has middle school students doing shows as well, which I think is pretty unusual. So mm. it's ostensibly a high school radio station. Mm. And he even started uh, the National High School Radio Network, which uh, where a group of around 25 stations are alternating and sharing programming every week, which is pretty cool. So, so he has an active group of high schoolers doing shows, but also there are middle school students doing shows there every week. So I think, you know, I, I haven't heard about all that many radio stations with elementary and, high, and middle mm. school involvement. And that always just warms my heart, you know, getting younger kids involved with making radio. So that was a highlight for me, you know, getting to sit in and and even um, talk to middle school students on the air when I was there. And you took some great photos. People can see their mobile truck 
which is branded for the radio station. That's right. Pictures of the studios and more pictures of the students as well as a wonderful picture of Ralph Martin himself there at VCS Radio. It's at radiosurvivor.com and we'll have a link in our show notes. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. This is episode number 147. Jennifer, thank you so much for following up on KVCB LP HD radio in Vacaville, California. And also thank you for uh, connecting us up with the folks at Provisional Island to hear about their prison radio themed exhibit in Electric Kite, Jennifer. We really appreciate uh, all your contributions on today's sure. episode. Yeah, I love these stories. And this is Radio Survivor, and we are a listener and reader supported enterprise. To learn more about how you can help us keep doing what we do. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. And once again, uh, we'll ask you if you listen to us as a podcast or if you're listening to us in online in any capacity, uh, subscribe in Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, Overcast, whatever you use to get your online audio. We'd ask that you subscribe and also tell a friend. Share it on social media. Help spread the word about Radio Survivor. And if there's a low-power FM or community or college station in your area that you think would be a great home for the show, we are syndicated, and it's available to all these sorts of great stations. Tell them about us, and you can learn more at radiosurvivor.com. Jennifer Waits, once again, thank you. Eric Klein. Hey, Jennifer, thanks so much again for bringing us the, the story of high school and prison radio. What a, what a good day. And I am Paul Riesmanel, and thank you for listening. 